When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to Right in the Binds by Harold Stewart and the Blues Hounds. Harold Stewart and the Blues Hounds are featured Ohio music artists tonight, so hang out with us at the end of the podcast. We'll tell you all about them, and I'll let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. It's time for a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. Now, last week, we gave you four stories that would make perfect material for those chilly fall nights around the campfire. They were all stories reported by Ohio newspapers, and they shared a theme, haunting encounters with mysterious strangers. Tonight, we're going to give you four more, but this time, the theme is haunting encounters with mysterious beasts. Oh, we've done a lot of beastly encounters before. You mean there are more? Yes, I found more. We've already covered the big ones, so we won't repeat them here. Like the Mothman and Minerva Monster. Oh yeah, those are good ones. And we've also done the Loveland Frogmen, the Kenmore Grassman, the Melonheads, um, the Crosswick Monster, and Lake Erie's Bessie. Oh, well, we should also remind people that you can listen to all of those by going to our website, ohiomysteries.com. Right. So tonight, we're going to tell you about four more creatures we haven't done before. Oh, I love this. I've got a lot of kids in my life, so I can never have enough campfire material. <laughs> awesome. Hey, how about some of that music from last week, you know, to set the atmosphere between stories? Like this? First tonight, the legend of the Cedar Bog Monster. Cedar Bog was Ohio's first nature preserve, becoming protected land in 1942. It's located four miles south of Urbana, Ohio, down a remote stretch of road in Champaign County. The wetlands and woods cover 438 acres. It's home to more than 50 plants and 10 animal species that are on the state's rare and endangered list. And of course, it's home to many more that aren't rare, including some 100 different birds, tons of rare reptile and fish, and according to one report, 25% of every plant species in Ohio 
has a representation in this reserve. The creek here spills into the Mad River, a 66-mile waterway between Dayton and Bellefontaine. So it's a very special place, and it has everything you'd need to survive if you're Bigfoot. For years, people have reported seeing an ape-like creature along the river's path or wandering down Woodburn Road or off any of the dark, narrow turns in this rural area. Witnesses who have seen it describe it as nearly seven feet high, with light fur, almost white, and eyes of red, and almost unanimously an awful smell. This legend appears to be rooted in an event from 1945. I could not find this story reported in any newspaper that I had access to, so for this one, I can only relate to you the story that locals have passed down. Reportedly, county deputies found an unattended car in the preserve with a trail of footprints leading from the car into the woods. The license plates led them to a local family where a couple explained their son and two of his friends had gone on a camping trip. A search was launched, but the three young men were never seen again people began to think the bog was hosting a mysterious beast that had done away with the youngsters. And, as the legend goes, authorities were worried enough about something that a tall chain-link fence with barbed wire was erected around the property. The fence did not keep people out, especially young people. If anything, the story of the missing teens lured them in, and the fence with danger signs only heightened their curiosity. It certainly didn't distract one couple that thought the preserve made an excellent lover's lane. One man shared this story to the Mad River Sasquatch Study Group. I found his story online. The man wrote, My girlfriend and I were parked near the bog in the early morning hours. As we were making out in the back seat, I heard a noise in the brush nearby. I rose up to look out the rear window to see a large white creature standing about ten feet behind the car. It made no sound but had a horrible smell. As the shock of what I was looking at quickly wore off, I jumped into the driver's seat and started the car. We left as fast as we could, stopping miles down the road to get dressed. I have never returned to the bog area at night. Does it make me less of a man that stories of mysterious beasts, disappearing teenagers, and barbed wire fences with danger signs make me not want to visit a bog at night? No, Steve, it does not. Makes you sound rather intelligent. We're staying in West Central Ohio for our second story tonight. This one about a Bigfoot-like creature who spent a week startling residents along the border of Logan and Union counties. While he made a big splash in the news, he doesn't have a unique name. The media just called him Bigfoot. Online, I see some people want to connect him with the Cedar Bog Monster since that happened in an adjacent county. But our Logan County Bigfoot made his appearance decades later. The year was 1980, and farmer Patrick Poling, 
who lived on County Road 142 in Union County, that's directly east of the village of West Mansfield, reported that he was working in his field the evening of June the 15th when he saw what he thought was a huge shadow, a dark impression at the edge of the field that made no sense. As he was studying it, the shadow moved. It was an animal, but nothing he could identify. It walked out of the woods and strode down the road. It was tall, looked to be seven feet or more, with a body covered in hair that was perhaps five inches long. The face of the creature had much shorter hair, and when the beast extended its arms, its palms were white. It walked upright, but was hunched over. Amazed, Poling maneuvered his tractor to get closer and was within 30 feet of the creature when it turned and ran into the woods. Four days later, just across the line in Logan County's West Mansfield, another man had a similar unsettling experience. Ray Quay was an off-duty police officer for the village of Russell's Point, and he lived on a small farm on Perry Township Road 132, where something had spooked his Dobermans. Quay told reporters, I was unloading eight pigs I had bought about 11 p.m. I shut off the light in the barn and went around the corner to see what my two dogs were raising cane about. They never bark when I'm around. I stepped around the corner of the barn and saw this hairy animal. I thought it was a man, so I hollered at him. It took off, and I've got some weeds out back I haven't mowed, and they were waist high or higher, and the creature just plowed through them with no problem. Quay said the animal reeked and described it as smelling like Limburger cheese on a hot muffler. Logan County Sheriff Mitt Watts responded to Quay's call. I'd be afraid to guess what is going on, the sheriff told reporters. I will say this. Both people who made the sightings are reputable people, well established in the community. Four deputies searched the area around Quay's property, but all that remained were human-like footprints and clear signs that something had crashed through the underbrush into the woods. A mammal research team from Lima was brought in by the sheriff to check on the prints and determine if it could have been a bear. The team measured the prints at 16 inches long and 5 inches wide with four toes, but couldn't identify the species. A helicopter piloted by Dr. Michael Failer, a surgeon from Bellefontaine, volunteered to fly a search pattern over the area, but told deputies the trees and summer growth were just too thick to see anything from the air. A few days later, on June 25, the creature was back. Quay's 17-year-old son, Tom, said he saw it walking along the road in the early morning light. He'd gone out to get the mail. It was about 8.15. And a hundred yards away, at the edge of a soybean field, the thing was just standing there. Tom ran into the house to get a gun, but when he returned outside, the creature was gone. The sightings made a brief impact in the area. Some local shops started selling Bigfoot t-shirts. 
It was the number one topic of conversation in diners and coffee houses, and farmers admitted they were now carrying guns in their tractors. Of course, there were also the obligatory teams of men carrying rifles trying to bag the beast, though the sheriff begged them to stay away, fearing some overeager sightseer might shoot someone. Authorities said they collected nine other reports that same week. I found mention of one from June the 24th when a legal secretary named Mrs. Riegler said she saw the creature lying on a road while she was on her way home. And another report from June the 26th when a resident named Larry Ramey said he saw the animal at the edge of the woods while he was driving a farm tractor. But the sightings dried up as fast as they started. The last appearance came just a week after the first appearance, and none was reported again. Of course, in America, the first instinct upon meeting a new species is to promptly shoot it. You know it. Oh, look, Bigfoot is near my mailbox. Let me shoot it. Come on, kid. How about grabbing a camera instead? I like this one. Clearly, they saw something unusual. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For our third story, we're going to Charles Mill Lake, a reservoir located in central Ohio, straddling Richland County near Mansfield and Ashland County near Mifflin. It's a quiet and popular spot for boaters, anglers, hunters, and hikers. And like any proud, self-respecting body of water, it comes with a legendary monster. Or in this case, two monsters. The first of these, the locals call simply Orange Eyes. Again, in this case, I could not find any original sources on how this one got started. I can only relate to you the legend that lives on and thrives in Richland County. Orange Eyes used to live in Cleveland back in the 30s and 40s into the 50s. He dwelled in a tunnel that ran beneath Riverside Cemetery and frolicked and hunted in the woods nearby. He was happy and content there for 25 years, quiet, gentle, not bothering anyone, nobody bothering him. But then along came some highway construction, which destroyed his underground home and his safe forest habitat. It forced him to leave. Sometime later, in 1959, he made his first reappearance some 80 miles away. He had claimed Charles Mill Lake as his home. Witnesses who saw him said he was easily 11 feet high, humanoid in appearance, guessing he weighed about a 1,000 pounds. 
but though he had no record of attacking anyone, he still induced terror in anyone who saw him because of those eyes, those big orange eyes. On April the 22nd, 1968, a group of children who thought they were brave enough to take him on went out looking for him just after dark. And they spotted those glowing orbs. They gave chase, wielding baseball bats and swinging rope. Fortunately, Orange Eyes escaped. The last sighting of this unique cryptid was in June of 1991. A couple of fishermen on the banks of Wills Creek said he ran right past them. Their sighting was added to his growing reputation. So Orange Eyes lived beneath a Cleveland cemetery till his home was destroyed and he had to move to Mansfield? Wow, this legend has some very specific details. I thought so too. Someone has put extra effort into this one. I mean, he was in Cleveland for 25 years. That's the kind of detail you only get when you interview someone. So clearly, somebody has had Orange Eyes over for coffee. By the way, a few years ago... There was a local brewery that named a beer after Orange Eyes, so he is definitely getting some respect. Now, I said Charles Mills Lake has two monsters. The second one is called, drumroll, the Charles Mills Lake Monster. And this one made the news. The headline in the Mansfield News Journal on March 28, 1959 read, Boys report seeing green-eyed monster. The witnesses were three Mansfield teenagers, 16-year-old Denny Patterson, 16-year-old Wayne Armstrong, and 14-year-old Michael Lane. It was March the 26th, a Thursday, and the trio was driving around in Wayne's car. A heavy fog covered the area, and the boys wanted to see how thick the fog could get over the water at Charles Mill Lake. There's a lane which leads out to a peninsula in the lake from Old State Route 30, and at least back then, it went down beside a boathouse, and that's where Wayne took them. They parked the car and were just sitting there watching the thick layers of mist rising from the lake when one of the boys pointed to what he thought was a log lying beside the water. Suddenly, the log stood up, It was no log. When it reached its full height, it was nearly seven feet tall, all black with two green eyes, large webbed feet, and it would have appeared humanoid except for the fact that it had no arms. The boys were terrified, even more so when the thing turned toward them and started to walk toward the car. Michael later told a reporter, We decided to get out of there fast, but we had trouble getting the car turned around, and when we finally did and looked back, it was only 15 feet away. The boys raced back to Mansfield and found a friend of theirs, Dave Owens, who wouldn't believe their story, but he was willing to go back to the lake with them. Alas, the beast was gone, so the boys drove back home and went to bed. The next day, the boys related their story to Wayne's father, Harold Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong laughed heartily at the tall tale and said if they had really seen something, there would be footprints or tracks to prove it. 
That's right, the boys said. So the boys talked Mr. Armstrong into going back to the lake with them. And son of a gun, there were two big tracks right where the boys said they had seen the thing. Mr. Armstrong immediately took the boys to the Richland County Sheriff's Office, and Deputy Thomas Moore accompanied them back to the spot. The tracks were there, but since the tracks were technically across the county line, Deputy Moore called his counterparts in Ashland County, and they sent Deputy Charles Myers to check it out. Myers saw the tracks as well, but he put a kibosh on the whole thing by telling the boys the prints looked like they could have been made by the kind of footgear worn by scuba divers. He told them the whole thing must have been a practical joke. Denny, Wayne, and Michael didn't believe that for a minute. Maybe it was a bear, they argued. There had been reports of a bear in the area, or maybe some other animal that could explain it all. But it was not a man in a skin suit. That sighting was the only documented report of the Charles Mill Lake monster. But it was well remembered. And even in modern times, people occasionally report seeing strange footprints around the lake that look like webbed feet. So Orange Eyes moved to Mansfield in 1959 and this green-eyed monster made his one and only appearance in the same lake the same year. Yeah, yeah, busy year. But clearly, they are not the same creature. Orange eyes versus green eyes, no arms versus arms, seven feet versus 11 feet. (laughs) I'd like to think orange eyes and the lake monster became good friends. Absolutely. You know, I could see them supporting each other. You know, the, the lake monster tells orange eyes, stay away from the boathouse lane. And Orange Eyes tells the lake monster, stay away from kids with baseball bats. Well, with each other's help, they probably learned how to stay away from prying eyes and went on to live long lives. Heck, you know, who's to say they didn't fall in love? (laughs) Well, if we get any reports of monsters with one orange eye and one green eye, well, then we'll know. That's right. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. Now, more about our featured musical artist of the night. Harold Stewart and the Blues Hounds spent a decade living and playing abroad before they finally settled down in Columbus, Ohio. Now we get to benefit from seeing their high-energy performances, Although this fall, the band has hunkered down to work on a new album. One of their more recent releases was Riding the Blinds. Harold Stewart explained for us, Riding the Blinds is an old term from the Depression era. Bluesmen used to hop trains for a free ride to neighboring towns, and they would hide in that accordion-style fabric between the train cars that they called the blinds because the rail workers couldn't see them. Be sure to look for their video of this song, too. They shot it in Nelsonville on an old vintage train. And you can find more about the band on their website, thebluesounds.com. So we're going to leave you with the full version of Ride in the Blinds by Harold Stewart and the Blues Hounds. Turn up the volume, enjoy some of the talent our great state of Ohio has to offer. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, 
all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II. Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.